Well, I'm back. Um, we're going to talk about wellness this morning, about being well, okay? So diet, exercise, alternative medicines, the, the old uh, the magnets. If you're, I had an uncle who was all about magnets, right? You know, supplements, superfoods. You know what the superfoods are. We'll, we'll talk to it about it a little bit. Right? All of those things, all of those things have one thing in common, personal wellness, or so we're, so we're told, right? The jury's kind of still out on diet and exercise, which I'm thankful for because I don't really like to exercise, but I really like Funfetti cake. But we know the quick fixes, those all work, like the magnetic socks. You get those, you never had feet, pains, nothing, right? That, all of that, all of that is, is awesome. All of that is awesome. I think as a culture, we're kind of obsessed with wellness, right? We've got how-to books on all of this stuff. The YouTube videos galore on what to eat, what not to eat. Everybody wants to be less stressed, less anxious. Everybody wants to be well. We all want to live long and prosper. That's my nerd, my nerd thing. There's only one fellow nerd out there with me. That's okay. You and me forever. I'll be good, right? There's hundreds and thousands of books, YouTube videos, Netflix documentaries. How many of you have seen one of the food Netflix documentaries? You watch it and you're like, I'm done with sugar. I'm done. Until you realize it's in everything we eat. And it's like, okay, that lasted a week, right? We wear magnets. We do all of this stuff, all the superfood. Have you heard of the, was it acai berries, acacia berries, acai berries? I can't say it. Apparently it's super good for you and you should eat it. Quinoa, it's actually not bad. I've had quinoa before. Kale, though. Don't get me started on kale. We did like the, have you ever done the, the made-to-order things where you like, or like, what's it called? Like the, the Blue Apron, where you do Blue Apron. We did it for a week because you get a free trial, and they kept sending kale with everything. I'm like, Rachel, cancel that thing. I'm on, rabbits don't even want to eat the kale. Stop sending kale. But we talk about all of these things to be well, get well. And there's some things out there that, there are hucksters that are like snake oil salesmen that are just trying to make a buck, peddle some crazy thing, get you hooked into something that, that's really not good. But there is some decent information out there as well. Some really genuine smart folks, doctors, who've got books and videos that, that you can watch. And it's like, if you follow what they're saying, it will, it will help you. But that's part of the problem. There's so much information out there. There's so much information out there that it's tough to determine what's true and what's fake. Sorry, ladies, the, uh, the, the, the study finds eating chocolate that helps you lose weight. That's total fake news. <laughs> it was. It was. You can research about it. Some guy wanted to prove that uh, news agencies don't actually vet information, and they published a fake study, and the news agencies published this thing that, breaking news, eating chocolate will make you lose weight. It wasn't true. It's not true. So don't stop eating chocolate. Just stop saying it's for thine stomach's sake, because it's not true. It's not true. Here's my point. There are a lot of ideas out there about how to be well as humans. So many ideas that it's tough to figure out what's true and what's garbage. And so I want to help you kind of sift through that today. I want to help you sift through all that information and give you some advice from the author of life on what we have to do to be well. So we're going to discover the cure for wellness today. And unlike many other cures and other medicines out there, there's only a couple side effects. Joy, peace that's not dependent on what's going on in life, and eternal life, right? How many of you hate the really fast people that read at the end? If you listen to those things, take this drug. It'll make you feel better. And it also might cause death. They read it so fast, right? We're going to talk about the cure of wellness today. And there's only some side effects. There are some side effects, but they're not bad. Joy, 
Peace that's not contingent on the circumstances that's going around, around in your life. You can be happy. You can be joyful. You can have peace no matter what's going on, good or bad. And you can have a guarantee that when you die, it's not the end. That eternal life is waiting for you. And that's what the cure of wellness can get for you today. I want to talk about, with you, talk about that with you a little bit from John chapter 5. So we're going to read it. And then we'll talk about it. If you have your Bibles, open up John 5, verses 1 through 18, or swipe there on your phone. It'll be on the screen as well. John 5, verses 1 through 18. Jesus says this. He says, Sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there, in, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five, col- five, five covered colonnades. So think porches. Here are a great number of disabled people who used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to take me to the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else gets down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. It's Ninja Jesus. That's actually in the Greek, if you look back at it. Ninja Jesus. <laughs> My jokes, they're not good. Sorry. I try. <laughs> Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself an equal with God. So, what's the cure for wellness? Did you discover it as we read? You say, yep, just got to have Jesus speak over you, and bam, you're healed. Well, I guess there goes any idea of being well today. Jesus isn't here anymore, so I guess we're stuck. No. That's not the cure for wellness. I hope, I hope you know that's not right. There's way more going on here than Jesus just miraculously healing this grumpy and ungrateful paralyzed guy. Remember, John only reports a few signs from Jesus. If you remember from two weeks ago what a sign is, it's something that points beyond itself, like the Krispy Kreme sign, right? Nobody cares about the sign. They care about what's going on when that sign is lit up, right? And just as a side note, apparently the hot and fresh uh, Krispy Kreme is coming back to Toledo. So those of you who say prayer isn't answered, just use that as an example. One of my prayers is answered, right? I always get sidetracked on Krispy Kreme. That is not the cure for wellness. Don't get sidetracked on Krispy Kreme. Back to signs for Jesus. The sign of miracles themselves are awesome, but we have to look past them to discover what they're pointing to, Right? So this sign that Jesus does reveals a whole lot about who Jesus is. But before we get into that, I think it'll be helpful to understand some of the misconceptions that our main characters have about who Jesus is. 
there are two main characters, the invalid and then the Jewish religious leaders. And what Jesus does in this sign is meant to kind of explode their idea of who they think God is. So who does the invalid think that God is? Well, the way that he answers Jesus' question, the question that's kind of a little weird, like, do you want to get well? Yeah, of course I want to get well. I'm sitting at this pool, right? The, the way that the invalid asks, answers that question gives us an idea of what he thinks about God. Um, if he, he says, of, of course I want to be well. That's why I've been coming here for the past 38 years, but no one will carry me into the water when it gets stirred. If you see in your footnote, verse 4, some of you might have noticed that. We went from verse 3 right to verse 5. You say, where's verse 4? It's in your footnote. Now, just a little uh, pointer on, on how Bible translation comes to be. A group of translators come together and they look at the very oldest, so the, the manuscripts that are the closest to when Jesus lived as possible. So the very earliest manuscripts that we have don't have verse 4. So they say what happened was, kind of like we have study Bibles, scribes, they didn't have copy machines, so they would translate the Bible and, and copy it and make copies and put it in books, and one guy would copy the whole thing by hand. And occasionally, as they were writing, in the margin, they would like maybe put a little note, kind of like a, a footnote in your study Bible. Well, over time, some of those footnotes got pulled into the main text. And so what some of our Bible translations have done is said, actually, that's not the closest to the original as what we, what we have. And so we're going to put that in the footnote to let you know the stuff that's, that's in the verses are, we are 100% or 98% certain, John, these were his words, right? So that's what's going on with verse 4. doesn't mean verse 4 is wrong. Actually, verse 4 could be completely right. And if you look in your footnote, it would say, it explains what happened, that people went to this pool because the belief was that an angel was sent down from the Lord to stir up the pool, and the first one in got healed. So it explains why this guy says what he says. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the for the angel to come and stir up the water. I'm trying to get the first one there, but I got no one to carry it, right? That's what's going on. So what does that thinking tell us about who he believes God to be? Well, it tells us that this guy thinks, he thinks kind of like Yoda. He thinks kind of like Yoda. He thinks God is like the force. It's this impersonal power that you can kind of tap into kind of like magic. If you know the right words and the right rituals, the right things to do, then you can tap into this power and harness it for your healing, right? Just like in Star Wars, where there's the good part and the bad part. If you do the right thing, if you're the Jedi, you, you can tap into it. This guy thinks that God is this impersonal force that can be tapped into, right? He views, views God as this impersonal force who reserves favor for those best able to help themselves, that might sound harmless enough, but picture this scene for a minute. It's kind of a sorry picture. Imagine this pool is starting to, to, to stir. Imagine it's, it's kind of like a nursing home environment. So the, purse, the, the pool stirs up and you've got all of these old folks, disabled for, folks, clamming over one another to try and get into the pool. It might be funny if it wasn't such a sad picture to think about, Right? So that's, that's kind of how this paralyzed guy views, views God. He thinks that God is an impersonal force who awards those who best help themselves. And maybe if you're here this morning, that's kind of how you view God. He's distant, far off. Yeah, he's powerful, but you've got to figure out the right things to do to get, get him to do what you want him to do. He's this impersonal being that, that's really pretty distant, and if you know the right tips and tricks, you can maybe get what you want out of him, but, but ah, it's kind of a kind of a crapshoot a little bit. That's what the paralyzed guy views about God. 
And then we have the, the religious leaders. Their response to Jesus' healing reveals what they think about God. They don't pay any attention to the fact that a 38-year-old paraplegic man guy is walking around with full use of his limbs. They completely skip over all of that. And what do they say? Hey, why are you carrying your mat on Sunday? You know you can't work on Sunday. Who told you to do that? It's like, are you guys serious? What's going on here? Their view of God and his power and authority is impersonal too. They don't view him as a force so much as more of like a legal code to be obeyed. They got this rule book and that's what they have a relationship with. They have God's rules. God says, don't work on the Sabbath. Honor it and keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's put a bunch of rules together. Jesus, you gave us some rules, but we'll, we'll finish it. Thanks for getting us started, but we'll put it all together, right? And so they, they're a bunch of Larry legalists. They're a bunch of Larry legalists. Why do they need a personal God? They got the rule book. It's all codified. Can I get my ox out of the well on Sunday? Well, let's see. We don't need to talk to God. Flip to page 3700, right? It's in there. You'll follow it. Don't carry your mat on Sunday. Their view of God is impersonal too. They don't know. They don't know God when he's standing right in front of them performing miracles. They don't view him as a personal being that they can know because they've got laws and those laws have become a barrier for them. Right? So that's kind of the misunderstandings that are going around. And I believe that's why Jesus does this healing to explode these people's idea of who they think God is. So he takes the initiative to heal this grumpy and ungrateful broken man on a Sunday or Saturday, depending on when you think the Sabbath was. By, so, by doing so, Jesus reveals a couple things about who he is. The first one is this. Jesus is knowledgeable and he is personal. He's personal. Jesus and God are not some impersonal force of power. And you can't just reduce him to a list of rules, right? No, he wants a relationship. He's a person, and he has perfect knowledge of us. He wants to know us personally. Jesus knows this man's story. He knows all of it. He knows the insides and outs of everything that's ever happened. He knows supernaturally that this guy's been an invalid for 38 years, and he knows how it happened. He knows what the cause was, apparently, it was due to some sin in this man's life prior, when he was younger, right? We don't know what the sin was, but uh, his, his uh, statement, stop sinning lest something worse happen to you, infers, implies that the reason he's paralyzed is because of something that he did earlier in his life. Now, let me just say this about suffering and brokenness. Not all sin and suffering and brokenness that we experience, pain, hardship, not all of that that we experience in this life is a result of our own personal sin or failings. But some of it is. Some of it is. Sometimes the pain and suffering we experience in life is a result of poor choices and sinful behavior on our part. Not always, but sometimes it is. That's a really hard truth, but it is the truth. God wants to spare us from this. It's not his will that we suffer, that we endure pain or hardship. But like a good parent, sometimes he allows us to reap what we sow. Right? And that's apparently what's going on here with the invalid. But we really got to be careful with this. Because we can jump to conclusion. We can look at some, someone who's suffering and say, well, what'd you do? Right? Like Job's friends did. We have to be careful here. Not all suffering and hardship can be attributed to, to us, to our own fault, to our own personal sin. 
right? Sometimes bad things happen. We get sick, we get hurt, people die because we live in a fallen world. God didn't create it this way. He created a perfect world, a paradise. And then we rebelled and sin has entered the world and everything, relationships, genetics, DNA, everything got broken. It's not how it's supposed to be, right? If you go to a nursing home, you're struck by this reality. When I'm in a nursing home, I can never shake the feeling, this is not what it was supposed to be like. This is, it just feels wrong, doesn't it? But the fall happened and now sin exists and that means natural disasters happen, disease happens, decay happens, and death happens. So sometimes bad things happen because we live in a broken world and that's the state of things right now. Sometimes bad things happen because of other people's sin. Not something that we do, but, but something that someone else does, right? The Holocaust happened because evil men did evil things and some good men did nothing. Both are sins. Both are sins. The sins of others inflict much suffering upon the world and upon us sometimes personally. So to recap, you've got suffering, pain, brokenness. It can happen because of our own sin. It can happen because we live in a fallen world. It can happen because of the sins of other people. It can also happen because we have an enemy. The Bible's pretty clear about this. His name's Satan. About a third of the angels fell with him. They're called demons. They exist. They're real. You know what they want to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes the bad things that happen in life are a direct result of their influence and their power in this world. They don't have any more power than what the Lord gives them, but they do have some power. Satan's called the prince of the world. He's going to be defeated one day, but he's not yet. And so sometimes the suffering, pain, heartache that we deal with, it might be a result from demonic influence, from influence from the enemy. Not with this man, though. This man, we're told that he's paralyzed because of something that he did. Maybe it was a poor choice. Maybe he thought it'd be a good idea to try and fly or something. We don't know. We don't know. Not a sinful choice, just a poor choice, right? We don't know what happened, but something that he did caused this to happen in his life. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus knows all of this. He knows all of this about, about this man. He moves towards him. He knows him completely. He knows what sin he did that caused all this suffering. He knows his heart. And we've, if you, you can kind of read into it, his, his response to Jesus is a little snarky. Do you want to get well? Of course I want to get well, right? It's a little... It's a little biting, a little snarky. So he's, he's kind of a grumpy guy. Jesus knows all of this about him, and yet he still loves him. He still loves him. I read this story by an author recently. He was talking about how he's got a toddler, and his toddler loves to throw food, and it drives him crazy. And he's trying to like figure out how to, how to train his toddler to stop doing that. And so his wife, Elisa, uh, uh, Alicia, takes his, his uh son to the doctor and he's like, okay, what do you, what do you want me to do for, for my child to get him to stop throwing food? And he says, well, when he starts throwing food, take it away from him. Let him know that he's not going to eat if he's going to throw it. So the wife comes home and talks to her husband, Matt, and says, hey, I talked to the doctor, gave some advice on, on what we need to do to help our child here, but you're not going to like it. He says, what do you mean? She said, well, we're going to have to take the food away from him. He's like, well, why wouldn't I like that? She said, well, I know you and I know that when you were little, you really struggled financially. Your family did. You struggled with enough to eat. You know what hunger's like. And she's like, well, I've never told you that. How do you know that? And she said, honey, well, every time you pack our daughter's lunch, you pack it every day, and before she leaves, I unpack it, 
because you pack it so full, there's more food in there than 10 kids could ever eat. And Matt, he said, as he was telling the story, he said, I realized that my wife knew me better than I even knew myself. All of my craziness, all of my insecurities, and she still loved me. That story, it stuck with me because I thought, man, that's so, that's so good. My wife knows me better. She knows all of my insecurities, all my hang-ups, all of my ugliness, and she's still with me too. It's a really beautiful thing. It's an amazing picture of love. Jesus, us better than we know ourselves, and yet he still loves us. He loves you with all of your warts and ugliness and sin. The Bible says while you were still a sinner, Christ went to the cross for you. He sacrificed his life for you. That's how much he knows you. So he looks at this invalid, this grumpy guy who sinned and caused a lot of pain and suffering in his life. He knows all of it. And he loves him and he moves towards him. Jesus is knowledgeable. He's personal. And he's compassionate. You see, Jesus doesn't have to go to this area. We're told that Jesus goes here of his own volition. Again, who in here likes visiting a nursing home? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to. But if I'm completely honest with you, it's one of my least favorite places to go. Not just as a pastor, just in general. I used to go visit my grandma before she passed away, and I hate those places. They're depressing, right? Never am I confronted with the reality that this is not how it's supposed to be than when I go to a nursing home. I am sad and angry all at the same time. You see Satan's handiwork in all of its horrible glory. It is not how it was supposed to be. These are not places that we like going. We should go and care for people that are there because they're, they're not fun places to be. But it's not, a, it's not a fun place to go to, right? That's what this place was like that Jesus goes to. It's a crowd of sick people, disabled, blind, lame, broken. They're all laying around waiting to die or hoping against hope that by some miracle they can get themselves to this pool when it gets stirred up. Jesus goes to this place. He goes to this ugly scar upon his creation because that's the reason he came. He came to heal the broken. And not just the broken who want to be healed. This is beautiful. This is so good. So many people view God as a killjoy or a party pooper. God comes and he, he wants to suck the joy out of life. He wants to rob all of your fun. Suck it all out. Get rid of all of it, right? The people that think like that, I don't think they've read their Bible very closely. They don't know the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is compassionate. He's kind. He's loving. And even when he does discipline, it's as a father who loves his children. It's motivated by love. He wants to protect his children, to care for them. We see Jesus' compassion on full display here. The invalid's response, as I've said, to this question, do you want to be healed? One commentator says it can only be seen as no less than a crotchety grumbling from an old man, not very perceptive, who thinks he's answering a stupid question. Why would you ask me that? Sir, what do you think I want to be here? I'm just sitting around waiting. Well, yeah, of course I'm healed. No one will carry me in. It's kind of the tone. This man responds bitingly to Jesus, right? And Jesus heals him anyway. The guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's not prepared to worship him as Lord or Savior. He doesn't even know who he's talking to. Sir, of course I want to be healed. What do you think I'm doing? He doesn't know who he is. And Jesus heals him anyway. 
Jesus blesses his socks off. So much so that he's going to need socks for all the walking that he's doing, right? He blesses him like crazy. This is the compassion of our creator God. He rains blessings down on the unrighteous and the righteous. It's called grace. Undeserved favor. We don't. No one deserves the blessings of God and yet he gives us good things. Church, do you have blessings in your life? Have you received anything good? This is God's kindness to you. Jesus is blessing you. Whether you choose to acknowledge that or not, that's up to you. But every good and perfect gift that you have, whatever it is, is from Jesus. He is so compassionate, even if you don't like him, even if you don't acknowledge him, he still pours out blessings on everyone. On everyone. Jesus' sign reveals that he is knowledgeable, he's personal, and he's compassionate. It also reveals that he is an all-powerful creator God. Jesus speaks but a few words. Take up your mat and walk. And a man who was paralyzed for 38 years, limbs regrow, muscles regrow. He regains use of all of his limbs. Like that. Jesus is powerful because Jesus is God. And he said so himself. And that's what Jesus goes on to explain to the Jewish leaders. They can't imagine that Jesus would be God, right? Because they don't know God. They think they do, but they don't. They just know God's rules and they've added to them, you know? They've got their rules and their tradition. They're so wrapped up in all of that that they can't see God and claim or worship him when he's standing right in front of them. They just argue with him. Let me say this. If your position puts you in a place where you're arguing with Jesus, you might want to rethink your position. You might want to rethink your position. It's probably the wrong one. So Jesus reveals himself to these people. He reveals himself. He's knowledgeable, he's personal, and he's all creator God. Have you discovered the cure for wellness yet? Here's what it is. Acknowledge that Jesus was who he claimed to be and know him personally. Jesus discovers that man again and he comes to him and he says, stop sinning so that something worse will not happen to you. Do you know what the sin that Jesus is referring to is? It's the sin of unbelief. What could be worse than 38 years as a paralyzed dude lying around under a, poach, hoping, under a porch, hoping against hope that you'll be able to get into that pool? What could be worse than that? That's a pretty rough life. There's not much worse than that. You know what would be worse than that? An eternity in hell separated from your loving father, right? That would be worse. Hell is hot and forever is a really long time. Jesus is knowledgeable and he's personal. He's compassionate. He's the all-creator God, but none of that matters much if you refuse to acknowledge who he is and love and know him as he's made himself known. That's the point behind Jesus' question. Do you want to be well? It kind of sounds like a dumb question at face value, but it's not. It's not. You say, who doesn't want to be made well? We all want to be made well, don't we? Do we? Let me suggest to you that not everyone who goes to church wants to be healed. Some people want friendship, trying to fight off loneliness. Not a bad thing. 
necessarily. Others want a spouse, right? They're hunting for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. We say the church is a pretty good place to find a spouse, but it's not the end all be all. Some people might be here for political reasons. That happens. Others maybe just want sympathy. Others might be looking for charity or a handout. Not everyone who goes to church wants to be made well. You see, sometimes it's easier to complain than it is to change. Sometimes the sin or the, the, the pain and the, our state of brokenness is a lot more comfortable. We've grown accustomed to it. We're comfortable in it. We like to complain about it, but the idea of, of following Jesus out of it is really scary. We don't know if we want to follow him where we're going. The idea of surrendering our lives to someone else, taking on the responsibility of Jesus, might be scary. Change is scary. And so some of us, we say we want to be well, but to acknowledge Jesus, that he's king, it means we might have to surrender our throne. And being king's pretty good. There's a lot of perks that go along with being king. We're not, we're not sure if we necessarily want to surrender all of that. All right? It'd be interesting to speak to a doctor on this. I wonder how many patients they see. They come in and you got this thing or that thing and here's the how-to. And year after year, the patient comes back and, yeah, I want to be well, help me. And they come back and nothing ever changes. They don't put the work in. They don't follow the instructions. They don't do whatever needs to be done to receive the healing that the doctor is prescribing to them. Right? That happens. You see, there are a ton of how-tos out there, but how-tos are completely meaningless without the want-to. We have to want to. We have to want to change. If you don't want to, no amount of how-to is ever going to make you well. And it's not that Jesus isn't working. If this text reveals anything to us, it's that Jesus works. He works every day. God works, his, he works every day. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he's working tirelessly, endlessly, even on Sundays, right? Not like Chick-fil-A. They take Sundays off. Jesus, he doesn't take Sundays off. He works every day. He works every day to reveal who he is to the world. Now, we can choose to acknowledge who he is and receive the wellness that he wants to give us, or we can go about our way and receive the blessing and attribute it to our own hard work and effort or, or something else, right? Even if he miraculously heals us, some of us don't ever see Jesus as the person and God he revealed himself to be. And because of that, even if we see miracles, unless we acknowledge who Jesus is and love him personally, we won't ever receive wellness. So that's my question for you this morning, church. Do you want to be well? The Bible says today is the day. Acknowledge that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the God of the universe, and get to know him. Pursue a relationship with him. Give him thanks for the good gifts in your life. Stop blaming him for all of the bad stuff going on in the world. It's not God's desire for you to suffer. The pain, the heartache, the loss, death even, that we experience. God hates it. That's why he came. That's why he went to the cross. Because I, I hate, he said, I, I hate all of the sin and death and brokenness. I hate it so much that I will endure the eternal penalty of God's wrath on the cross so that I can fix it. He's doing something about our suffering. He enters into it with us. You see, in Jesus, the promise is, you say, you come to Jesus, say, Lord, heal me. He never says no. The answer for healing in Jesus is never no. 
It is now or later. Now or later. Sometimes he heals miraculously. Ask for that. And if he doesn't, rest on the hope that it is not always going to be like this. That one day, those who are in Jesus, those who know him personally, all of their disease and sickness and death, everything, every tear will be wiped from our faces. He's doing something about our suffering. Take heart in those promises. Find hope in that and allow the fact that Jesus knows you completely and yet he still loves you. And use that to motivate you to pursue holiness. Pursuing holiness means simply following what Jesus wants you to do in your life. He loves you. So when he asks you to do something, you can trust that it is for your good. It's for your good, always. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your compassion. Thank you that it does not matter one lick what we think about you, what we say about you, good or bad. You move towards all of us in love. You know all of us. You know, you know all of the skeletons in our closet. You know the sins that we did when we were in second grade and the terrible things we said to the people in fifth grade and junior high. You know every single terrible thing that we have ever done, the things that no one else knows that we think if they knew, they'd leave me. No one would love me if they ever... You know all of that. And you move towards us in love so much so that you went to the cross because you love us that much. You said, I know all of it, but I love you. And not just I love you, I want to know you. I want to know you as a father knows a son or a daughter. I want to care for you perfectly. I want to show you my love. Lord Jesus, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to see the ways that you're pouring out blessing in our life? Would you breathe healing into our lives, Lord? For those that are struggling physically, would you heal them? Today, would you bring healing? And if you don't, Lord, would you give hope that one day the healing is promised? For those that are struggling emotionally with broken relationships and trauma from the past, would you heal them emotionally? Would you heal the scars that have been inflicted by their fathers? Would you let them know that you are not like their father? You are far better. You will never leave them nor forsake them. You will always speak tenderly to them. You will always be with them. Lord, I don't know what the healing is that we need, but we want to be made well. Would you help us trust us and trust you enough that we wouldn't be scared to follow you wherever it's leading? Help, help us step down off the throne of our own lives and surrender to you as the good and powerful and gracious king that you are. We love you, Lord. Help us love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.